there are these parallels and with that come a lot of wonderful things, but there are also the incongruencies or when you jam into something and then what do you do there? They're both going to continue to happen and there's beauty and chaos that come from both of them and learnings that can come from both of them. Just being receptive and open to that, I think is incredibly important. I'm Rachel Krause, and we are here to explore and unpack the essence, architecture, and DNA of purpose across industries, professions, relationships, and even within paradox. On this podcast, we will uncover the stories and journeys of our guests, unlocking pathways to grow, to gain, and to give. This is Listen on Purpose from Kindred Media. For today's episode, I talked with powerhouse inspiration, Rachel Rothman, who is the chief technologist at Good Housekeeping, not to mention a mechanical engineer, advocate, and mom of three. We explore the thematics of patterns and the central anchor that is defined by purpose. Hi, Rachel Rothman. Rachel! (laughs) That's so nice to see you. It's so nice to see you. It's been ages and much has happened since the last time I saw you in person and gave you a hug. I know. I know. How many children did we have between us since then? I think, I right, there's, I think we're, we're counting it seven between <laughs> us right now. <laughs> it is such a privilege to have you here. You are a dear friend and somebody I deeply, deeply admire and learn from and am inspired by and energized by. So it's just beyond a privilege to be able to have you and to share some time together and share some insight, talk about purpose, talk about intersections of life and meaning and different points of connection and different points that oxygenate our life, both at work and at home and the blurring of all the lines in between. Talking about intersection of work and personal and this and that, we had to kind of sneak in the work to get the personal with the two of us. (laughs) We made it happen. Here we are. So I am super excited, super happy to be here. And what an incredible honor to be here with you and sharing with you. I learned from you. You just resonate with me. You're just bringing me energy. I literally feel my body radiating with positive energy right now. So thank you. So Rachel, can you tell us a little bit about Rachel Rothman, where you are in life, what you do in life, just to give us a little bit of a window into the amazing space of Rachel. I am the Chief Technologist and Executive Technical Director at the Good Housekeeping Institute. And what that means is that I oversee our product testing and methodologies. Our mantra of who we are and what we are, actually founded in 1885, so we've been around for a really long time, has always been around consumer advocacy, allowing consumers to make better, more informed choices. We live in an age where there is just so much product. And it is so easy to just go into Amazon, type in something, but you don't know what's what. You don't know what to put your money in, what to value, et cetera. So that is my day job at Good Housekeeping. Product testing, consumer insights and behaviors, and a lot of other elements through that by which we hope that we can improve consumers' lives in whatever facets that means. So whether it be through product, whether it be through advice, whether it be through different service and advocacy, We get to do all of those incredible, amazing things under that banner. And then also at work, something I'm super proud and humbled by all the time, I serve as a scout for Hearst Lab. It is, we like to call it a greenhouse. We invest in female-led companies. And by nature of what I do at Hearst and by nature of my background, it is so invigorating to meet with these incredible entrepreneurs. And it's just infuses 
Hearst and myself with energy and innovation and excitement. So we learn from them, they learn from us. So it's basically an incubator that is run within Hearst. And that's something else I get to do under the Hearst banner. And then switching gears, I am a mom of three delicious children. I have an incredible husband and I have a wonderful support system around me of family and friends, including the Krauses, who are the most incredible family ever. For those who probably are coming on and don't know this, Rachel's husband married my husband and I. So literally are interwoven in our family and our DNA and continue to be. So speaking of intersection, these two things constantly collide for me. So at work, literally last week, we just put on a parenting summit. I feel super passionately about that space and how can we help improve mothers and fathers and caregivers' lives. It is tough times right now. We've all lived through this shared trauma and the world right now So we created an event whereby we could help enrich consumers and parents and caregivers' lives by providing actionable advice around how do you recognize burnout? How do you deal with burnout? What are really tangible things that you can do around burnout? And also really beautiful, fun conversation. I literally oscillated between laughing and crying and then laughing again and just sharing the sisterhood of parenthood and a lot of other really incredible, awesome things on the power of play and other things. So again, talking about this intersectionality, I care tremendously about the parenting space. We were able to do this parenting event and help people within the space. I also actively test within the parenting space. So I test car seats and strollers and high chairs. And if you have a young kid at home, you know, these are incredibly difficult and overwhelming decisions to make. And part of what I do is trying to make that a little bit simpler for you. So who are you? What are your needs? How can I help serve them and give you what you need in that moment so that you're not focused on that? You're not worried about that. Your kid's going to be safe in the stroller that I recommend. It's going to be awesome for you and your lifestyle. And now just go and enjoy those moments with your family. So again, that's just one element of what I do in my work life. It just bleeds into my personal life and vice versa. My kids are constant testers. We're about to start toy testing. So it's one of my favorite things that I do at work where we are literally putting toys through their paces. I have children with varying developmental needs and or sensory needs and As a parent, I'm always like, I want to be serving them the best possible items to enrich their lives, whether it's for social, educational, creative, et cetera, reasons to enrich them in some capacity. But it has to be fun because if not, the kid's not going to play with it and they're not going to want to go to it. So we rigorously test toys and my kids are star toy testers. And when we're testing cars, I'm putting car seats in every single car and I'm having my kids go inside every single car. I jokingly refer to them as my durability testing. So if something can hold up to the destruction and chaos of my three children going through it, it's going to hold up in your household. My background's in mechanical engineering. My children grow up are like, I have a problem. Let's investigate. Let's find a solution. And I'm like, yes, that is a great idea. You figure it out. Creating the tool set that they need to figure it out on their own and just watching their minds. I'm filled with awe and excitement through their lens every day. I recently got to co-author a science experiments book as part of my role at Good Housekeeping. And my children put every single experiment through their paces. And my daughter last night, after we've done a bunch of these, she came last night and she's like, I really want to do that science experiment again. And it's this fusion. So for me, I'm so lucky that these things both give me such incredible purpose and that I see the enrichment that it gives to my children. And I'm hopeful that we are also enriching so many other families' lives across the country. 
A common theme that I just heard, though, is that you use your voice, your talent, and skill and ability to create space to enrich other people's lives. So if it makes it easier, if it makes it better, if it makes a mom's decision about a car seat easier, you're using your voice, your talent, your brain, and your life experience to create space for people to be better versions of themselves or to be better participants in the world, more informed. That's the common thread that I heard at all the different intersections. That just made my day. So thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, better for people can mean so many different things, like you said. It could be more efficient. It could be more streamlined. It can take the anxiety away from a decision for them, whatever it may be. But if I can give them ways to save time, money, effort, energy in their day that they can then use elsewhere, that makes me feel really good and accomplished. And I know likewise for my entire team. Let's go back a little bit. You talked about mechanical engineering. How did that education academic process inform where you are now? And do you see connections between how you learned, what you learned, what you did, how you thought, how you experimented, your curiosity, and how that relates to what you're doing now? Spot on. Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> I'm wired differently than other people. My brain operates in a different way and I'm aware of it. And never more so than when I now have children who I see how their brain is working and how they're processing things and how they're receiving it. So everyone is wired differently. And for me, structure and logic and organization and pragmatic thinking and problem solving, that was just woven into my DNA. That is who I am. I have parents who are the most incredibly supportive parents, but I was like, I want to do engineering. And they're like, what? Really? We're the, sure, great. We support you. We don't know much about it. We don't, you know, but like, yes, let that be your path. And I think part of that is I love finding efficiencies. I love figuring out ways to optimize things. I love problem solving, but I straddle left and right brain. So for me, I love those disciplines and I love figuring it out. I loved product. I loved design, but then... I wanted to be around people. I worked in a Sarah Lab environment, and then I went the total opposite end and for a while did publicity and PR and communications. And I was like, oh, whoa, engineering's easier than that. I'm going to go back to engineering. That's just how my body is wired. And I was able to marry these two so beautifully in a way that I didn't even know this job existed. And when I stumbled upon it, I couldn't imagine. Now I'm in this role, six, seven different iterations of the role later, and I'm like, this was a dream job. This is a job that is so well-suited for me. And I do think at that time, I didn't have the confidence. I didn't have the voice. I didn't have a sense of self and a sense of owning my capabilities. I remember leaving that interview being like, oh, I don't think that went that well. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm definitely not qualified. There's definitely better people for this and whatever have you. And I look back and I'm like, they wanted an engineer. They wanted an engineer who loved tech and product. My family background, my father owned and operated a consumer electronic distribution business. They wanted someone who loved consumer electronics. And I was like, yeah, check. Uh, yeah, 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 me, 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 me. And they wanted someone who also had the right brain side, who was able to communicate, who was creative, who was all these things. And my mom, by background, had been a psychoeducational therapist. So she had been a teacher and she had done testing for kids. I literally now sit at the intersection of my mother and father and what they did. So obviously your past and your upbringing leads you into things. But I found my way to harness things that were of interest and with my skill set that gave me purpose to then put it out in the world. Never more so than when I became a parent, 
to get up and walk away from my kids for whatever that reason was, I had to have purpose. I had to feel good about it. I had to feel empowered by it. I wanted to know that I was doing something that I felt was giving back in some capacity. And I love all the benefits that it gives to my children. Like they now have other caretakers who they have such amazing social emotional relationships with. And they get to see other dynamics of people and have these great relationships. They also get to see a mother who goes to work with passion and purpose. I see my daughter inspired by it. She's like, I can be an author. I can be an engineer. And I'm like, you can be. You can be anything. And you can be a lot of things. And you can try different things. And that's all good. So they don't feel that they have to follow this one very specific route. Makes me feel really good. So it's beneficial on on both sides. It's great for me and intellectually stimulating. If I didn't have the role that I had, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I get the opportunity to meet so many incredibly brilliant, smart, charismatic, empowering, helpful, supportive people in what I do. And that invigorates me. My children invigorate me in one way and my work invigorates me in a different way. And the harmony of both really worked for me. You've also very magically and serendipitously have taken points that could have been points of tension or friction and have mobilized them to be assets. So whether it was your left brain, right brain, and finding that white space in between for you to be your best, most creative and intellectual self all in one and having the right platform and the right career and support to be able to do that. And at the same time, there's also a, I mean, an enormous tension that exists between having kids, leaving them, but it's good to leave them. And it's important for them to see mom work, but it's also hard to be away. All of those points are points of friction or can be points of friction. And you've used them to catalyze motion and to create new and to look at purpose at the center of that. So it's remarkable that you've taken all of these different life intersections and instead of them being a moment of paralysis, it just becomes a moment of catalyzing forward motion. I mean, let's be clear. There were moments of friction. There were moments (laughs) of pausing. There were tough moments along the way, but I see those moments as growth. I see those moments as opportunities. And I didn't get from zero to a hundred overnight. And I'm continuing my growth every single day. So for me, it was always layering on and building on. And when I recognized, okay, we're at a moment now that there needs to be a difference or a change, let's make room for that and let's make that change. And when there's not necessarily room or space for that, it's okay. We're going to sit here for right now and I'm going to reassess and figure it out and that's okay. And I think that that holds true in work and in life for me. I'm sure you get this a lot. You have four children. It's like, how do you do it all? You make room for it and you grow and you develop and you figure out different ways and you figure out different efficiencies. I found it personally hardest, the jump from not being a parent to being a parent. Me too. That was the hardest for me. And everyone's like, no way. And I'm like, each child, I was, I'm going to say, better version of myself. I was more empowered. I felt more comfortable in it. I had been through it before. I knew the signs. I knew the things that were happening. And I just kept finding it more and more enriching and less and less challenging. So even in the really challenging moments, I was in a different place. That chasm for me of non-parent to parent was the biggest chasm to cross over. It's funny. Each of my pregnancies progressively worse. Worse pregnancies each time. I handled them better each time for a multitude of reasons. First one, I was sick for like five months. Second one, I was sick for like six months. Second one, I don't think I was ever not sick. And in the postpartum, as it related to something like breastfeeding, I was so tough on myself the first time. I was better each time for it. And I wound up 
pumping longer for a multitude of reasons with each child and or breastfeeding. So again, it's learning and building and growing and recognizing when you need to course correct, when you need to change, when you need to pivot, when you need to go to something else. I always think of it as layering. And you know, you refer to it as the parallels, I think, is a word that you were using that was resonating with me. But I think work opportunity, CES. It is the biggest media and tech show in the country. It happens every January in Vegas. Some pauses around pandemic, but for the most part, it happens in January. My family, because of my family background, I had been there literally since the womb. So first year at Good Housekeeping, I attend. I just attend. I experience it. I do that for one or two years. The next time I speak there. And then I'm like, okay, I got this down. And then we created a partnership and I became a judge for the awards program around it. And then I was like, no, we need to go in even deeper. And I became a show floor spokesperson for a few years. It was layering on and figuring out, okay, I've got this level. I'm going to level up. And now I've got this level, I'm going to level up and I'm going to figure out different ways to add that in. Probably one of the first things I did was a local TV thing or something like that live. And they threw me in and I was like, all right, we'll try it. We'll see how it goes. I would never have known that's a skill that I can do. Am I the best in the world? No, but can I get on camera and speak? Yeah. And then I eventually did the Today Show and I did Good Morning America and I did all these different things. And then because of those things layering on, I recently had the opportunity to do a series on the History Channel. How cool! So incredibly cool! That was a real high moment. That was incredibly cool to me. I'm an expert on the History Channel. Awesome! But it wasn't like I went from zero to that. It was layering the pieces on top of one another and growing my confidence and growing my capability and growing my skill set. And the more you're doing something, again, you develop efficiencies at it. You develop ways of doing it better. You feel more comfortable in it. I know if I'm doing five TV stints in a really quick period of time, each time I get better, I feel better about it. The process for leading up to it is easier and better and more simple. But I love those curveballs. I love when I get thrown something that I haven't done before and it pushes me outside of my boundaries. I recently had the incredible fortune of interviewing James Dyson, visionary of all visionaries, doesn't do many interviews. I was nervous. It was phenomenal. It was such an engaging, educating, inspiring conversation. And I would never have thought that would be something one I'd be comfortable doing or want to do. It was great. And it was fantastic. And I hope people listening to it got to take away maybe one kernel of something that was helpful for them in it. There are these parallels. And with that come a lot of wonderful things. But there are also the incongruencies or when you jam into something. And then what do you do there? They're both going to continue to happen. And there's beauty and chaos that come from both of them and learnings that can come from both of them. Just being receptive and open to that, I think, is incredibly important. So let's hone in on that a little bit more, this idea of, let's call it pattern recognition. Sure. And that there are certain patterns that work in parallel motion or incongruent pattern formation. Mm -hmm. And those are things that need to work in sync or need to be harmonious or need to walk hand in hand. And then there's certain moments or certain patterns that are meant to be incongruent and friction patterns. And those friction patterns also similarly have a formation to them. But sometimes we see opposition as something negative and really opposing matter And that friction is actually often the ignition for something positive. So I want to talk a little bit and get your thoughts and your guidance on parallel patterns and incongruent patterns and ways that we can define both and what we can learn from both. Yeah. Did you have a mechanical engineering degree and or a physics background? Because it sure sounds like it. From both of those things, you're getting tremendous force. One is just clearly propelling you forward and one of them is igniting and bursting it. And from both of them, like you said, 
there's different benefits to it. So for me, the parallels have always been the space that I'm the most comfortable in. I love sitting there. I can work really efficiently. I can work really effectively. And when I can recognize patterns, we're evaluating startups. I see a pattern and I can recognize when a startup is going to be successful. I can recognize when a product is going to be successful. There's certain ingredients in that that to me are very systematic. And again, with my kind of mindset of being very logical, very pragmatic, I love me a spreadsheet. I can sit in that world beautifully and I can recognize really great things. But where do I think the real big jumps come? In parallel, you can level up, I feel like. You can slowly level up and or develop and or grow. But where does a leap happen? That happens when you're in the friction. I think the perfect analogous in the parenting sphere for this, if you are a parent of a newborn and or a toddler, I recommend The Wonder Weeks, a phenomenal app, book, all of the above. And I was not one to want to absorb too much information when I was in the throes of things, but I found it incredibly helpful. Your child is going along a pattern, and then they're going to hit what they refer to as leaps. And those leaps I look at as those incongruencies. They're hitting friction. So their mind is literally taking on so much, it creates chaos for them. So when your kid starts having a really tough time, and they're crying more, and they're clingier more, and all those things that are happening... I look at that as we're about to have the most beautiful growth afterwards. So I never get upset. I'm like going to cry. I get so so emotional. I I have a little one, so they're still experiencing these fairly regularly. And in the beginning, they're very sequential. It's very much timelined when it's going to happen. You're going to have the first sleep at, I'm making it up, seven weeks, and then 15 weeks. You're going to hit the four-month sleep regression. I'm really sorry. It's very (laughs) likely going to happen. Sorry to you guys. If you don't know about this, it's going to happen. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler (laughs) alert. They mark it with like a storm. You're going to be in a storm. But when you come out of that storm, it is going to be sunshine and you're going to see growth. And in the parenting space, all of a sudden, you think your child went from maybe not being so verbal to speaking overnight. It takes that time for their whatever is happening inside of them, neurologically, biologically, physiologically, all those things that are happening to have those moments of struggle and or trouble to reconcile it, to come out on the other side. You get a lot of that very early on and it could be challenging. But again, as a parent, the first time it was really hard. The second time, as I knew those patterns, I was like, oh no, we're about to get beauty. The sunshine is going to come. It may be hard. And when we're in it, I know it's tough, but we're going to come out in a few days, in a week, in a few months, whatever it may be. And there's going to be beauty and there's going to be joy. So I think just the reframing and the recasting of it, as opposed to saying friction is bad, friction is a force that's going to move things and it could be amazing. Let's go a little deeper. You mentioned for products or for concepts or ideas about pattern recognition in that way. Are there certain qualities? Are there certain standout elements? How does purpose play a role in that? Let's talk a little bit more about those patterns. Sure. I would say the number one pattern off the top of my head would be if you want to have a successful product, solve a problem that consumers know they have. Don't tell them this is a problem. Don't scare them into a problem. Don't say this is a benefit for whatever reason. What is a problem that people really have and solve it? That is something that is going to lead to a successful product. Those two elements, real problem, consumers need to know they have it. They need to know that that's a pain point. It has to be a pain point for them and then solve it. You're going to have a successful product. So I think that that's just a small snapshot of that. As it relates to kind of looking at people, I have now spoken with 
bad order of magnitude. My math is not great post-COVID, but I'm going to go with tens of thousands of people, which is very, (laughs) maybe even more, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I have met with so many CEOs, presidents, CTOs, COOs, the engineers. I've really had such great fortune to meet these incredible people. And there is something, there's a spark inside of those people. One, they have to have passion. They have to have drive. Like you're saying, like there has to be purpose. Whatever they are doing, it has to be purposeful and something that matters to them. You hear a lot about the founder's story. The reason I feel like that is so meaningful is because it is showing these people care about it. Why did they get into this space? What are the things that I care about? If I was to make a product today, it would be in the parenting space. It would be in the juvenile product space, definitively. I have a book of juvenile products that someday maybe I will get to, maybe when my children are a little bit older. This is, again, the engineering mind of me. But like anytime I hit friction, anytime I have an annoyance, anytime I have a pain point, I jot it down. That can be a product idea. I'm outside in the rain and it's tipping over and I'm annoyed by it. I'm going to jot something down. And then I'm like, hmm, well, it's also annoying. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but like you're holding an umbrella and you're only using half of the umbrella. Why do we not have single person umbrellas where it's a longer side? And how do you create something that is mechanically stable that will be able to off put the winds, but that also is giving you more coverage surface area over your head? This isn't one that I want to share with someone. This is my personal one. I've now seen innovation in this space, but that was one I remember writing in college doing a prototype for. So anytime you have a pain point, and then again, it's problem solution, but it also has to be something that you're passionate about. So there are a million ways in which I could impart knowledge to help improve a product. That is literally the culmination of what I've been doing for 15 plus years, education before that and my life has been to do that, to be a product expert and to be able to offer that advice. But if I were to do something and I would want to see that in a founder, it would be me doing something that I had purpose around, something that drove me, something that I woke up and literally is just on my mind and I can't stop thinking about it and I want to solve for because I want to make it better for me and I want to make it better for the world. So I think that those two components are critically important and that I have recognized as being patterns in successful products and or companies, those two elements. You are an idea lab. (laughs) You don't work at one, you are one. You are an idea lab. But it's, it's interesting because it means that you also don't see any of those hindrances or annoyances as problems. You see them as an invitation to be curious about solutions. So if it's raining and half of your body is wet, it's not, oh, that's horrible. It's, ooh, I have an idea. So your mind sees the world through what possibility looks like and what it can be or what it can evolve to or modulate to. Yeah, I have to say never more so than when I had kids and seeing when they have friction and or I have friction with them. It's something I hoped I would have, but it's my level of calmness and clarity of knowing this is for their benefit and we're getting past it. I don't get rattled in those situations. I will not say that situations are not challenging. I will not say situations are not tough. I will not say there are not times when I reach my limit. And I think burnout's a word that we throw out a lot. But right now, notably women, notably caregivers, during the pandemic, our wells have gotten depleted for a variety of reasons. And I'm not in any way minimizing other groups. I'm just speaking to my own experience and research and insights that we have gathered. So I need to refuel and I need to replenish myself. My family is just on the heels of recovering from COVID. My well was empty. So it was really tough for me. Even if I could see that moments were hard and we were going to get through it, it was hard. It was tough. It was challenging. So recognizing doing this podcast right now with you is 
literally filling up my well. Spending time with you. I'm going to cry. It's filling up. Could you guys tell I'm emotional from all these things? It's filling up my well. I'm not usually this emotional, just around Rachel Krause. She brings this out of me. But you need to refuel. And you had kind of planted the seed for me of something that I can give to people. And for me, it's invest in yourself. I'm a better mother. I'm a better employee. I'm a better wife. I'm a better mother. I'm a better sister when I am full and I am energized and I have the gas in my tank to be able to do those things. I did not always do that and I still don't always do it, but I need to remind myself. And that's something that I'm getting better at recognizing when you're at that point of depletion, reaching out for the support, reaching out for the things that are going to fill me up again. But finding those better, more meaningful relationships for me had been challenging during the pandemic. How do you find space and time and energy and or safety around those things when things are really challenging and trying? So I don't want in any way to minimize I have challenges, I have frustrations, I have tough times, but I do see them as I know we're going to come out on the other side. Like family right now, we're still in a tough moment for health and a lot of different things that are going on. And again, I know how fortunate and lucky my family is for a multitude of reasons, but I know we're going to come out to sunshine soon, really soon. And it's going to be beautiful. It's funny, as my kids are feeling better, one of them the other night, literally, I feel like age six months, had this big leap of behavioral and social emotional maturity and growth. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew we were almost there. I knew we were almost there. And I feel it and we're touching it and we're getting there. So again, I don't think that it is sunshine and rainbows, but by being able to shift your perspective, I feel really fortunate. I have been able to do that has been really helpful for me. Intersections are one type of pattern, let's say, whether parallel motion or incongruent motion, but cyclical is also a pattern. And what you just described or what you touched on earlier about even the story arc of developmental childhood and the different milestones and the different points of friction or the different transition points or the storm to the sunshine moments, those cycles become really powerful moments if you can identify them and with consciousness and with joy and mindfulness, appreciate where that storm is and not just being on the other side of it, but knowing that that storm is actually what's going to bring the sunshine. Yeah, completely. Thank you so, so much for sharing. And so one of the things, and I know you come from like a real swag world, like swag is like a a car and like a TV (laughs) in your world. For those of you who don't know the background on this, Rachel said she wants every episode to end with swag. And so in my mind, I immediately thought, Sure. What kind of products would you like? I'm a product. So I, I as Rachel is alluding, like a TV, a car, you know, I'm Oprah and you get a car and you get it. Like, that's what I thought we were going to be doing. You get advice from Rachel Rothman and you get a piece of information from Rachel Rothman. That is the swag, right? Yeah. The swag is what tool can I bring with me into the day and yeah. into work? And when we hang up now or stop listening now and walk into our next room and our next meeting or hug our kids or our parents, whatever we are next, that we take a piece of your swag, that we have a little bit of your brand identity with us that we can wear. And that's invest in yourself. I think something that I learned is also just in the communication with different people. So the and instead of the but, Oftentimes, as a rela- like, it's one of the biggest takeaways I took as being a parent. Two things can be coexisting at the same time. I could be in a really challenging, difficult time, and these beautiful things are also like two things can coexist at the same time. So, also as it relates to the 
And for me, it was a lot of reframing how I spoke to certain people to recognize it would be better received. Even if we were saying the same thing, just reframing the structure of it for some people was more helpful. So sometimes you have to say no, but do you have to say no or can you say yes and? You need that done? Based on all the parameters? No, that's that's not possible. That's going to be a no. Instead of saying that, I can say yes. And we're going to have to move those 500 other things if you want it done. I think the reframing around it and recognizing a no, but, and a yes, and can be the same thing. And who's going to receive which one better? Someone may be like, just say no to it. And someone else may be like, you need to say yes, but then I'm going to say yes, and. I love that. And again, it may not always be possible, but can you in some capacity find, even in the thunder, even in the storm, there's going to be sunshine. Even in the difficulty and even in the challenge, this is an opportunity. This is really challenging and hard, and there's going to be something awesome that comes of it. This feels really challenging and sticky and awful and ugh. And 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 I'm going to learn, and I'm going to grow, and we're going to come out of it on the other side. And, 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 and. So the yes, and I think is a, another piece of swag I would like to leave with everybody. You're 100% right. It's a paradigm shift of it is possible and there's a way to get there. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly, and to exactly. anchor ourselves and realize where we are. It's just amazing, amazing, amazing swag. And yeah. so invest in yourself. And if you want a laptop, just let yes, me know. All right, right exactly. Yeah. And you get a car. <laughs> Listen on Purpose is a series as part of Kindred Cast from Kindred Media and Audiation. Our executive producer is Sandy Smallins. The show is produced by Ireland Meacham and mixed by Matt Noble with music by my nine-year-old son, Noam Kraus. If you like this episode, please make sure to subscribe to KindredCast wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review letting us know what you think. I'm your host, Rachel Kraus. Thank you for listening.